The Gospel reading is from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. And if you want to follow it in the Church Bibles, it can be found on page 1082. If you love me, you will obey my command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So, we continue our series here at Highfield on the Holy Spirit. And I address you today on the the topic of the promise of the Spirit in us. Now, there's a great deal in that New Testament reading um, that one could look at. Uh, It's a very densely packed passage of Scripture. So I'm only going to be able to take up uh, one kind of thread uh, from that passage uh, in line with expanding on uh, some of the themes that we're looking at in this uh, season of looking at the Holy Spirit and his role within the Christian life. Let me begin with a quote from Bishop N.T. Wright. He says that following Jesus means just that, following Jesus, not ticking a box that says Jesus and then sitting back as though it's all done. To confess him as Lord and to believe that God raised him from the dead is to allow one's entire life to be reshaped by him. 
knowing that though this will be painful from time to time, it will be the way not to a diminished or cramped human existence, but to a genuine human life in the present and a complete, glorious, resurrected human life in the future. I'm going to structure uh, what I say this morning around one simple argument, uh, what a philosopher would call a deductive argument indeed. This is an argument where you have two truth claims about reality that inevitably lead you through to a conclusion. If the two truth claims are true, the conclusion must be true. And here's my first truth claim. The Holy Spirit guides believers into the truth. So from the passage we had there, the spirit of truth will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you, says Jesus, concerning the words that he's received in turn from the Father. The second truth claim is this, that Jesus is the truth. In John 14, verse 6, this is the the context of the passage that we had, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That is, I am the way to relationship with God. I am the truth of God incarnate. I am the life of God that I want you to be grafted into. But given that the Holy Spirit guides believers into truth, and given that Jesus is the truth, of course it follows that therefore the Holy Spirit guides believers into Jesus. That is, the Holy Spirit helps believers to become more Christ-like, to put on the character of Christ, to own the name of Christ. In the Old Testament passage that we had, it talked about putting the name of God on the Israelites. And in ancient cultures like that, names were not just arbitrary labels for things, so you could distinguish them. Names actually represented the character of a person. So to own the name of God, to put on the name of Christ, is to uh, own his character. A Christian is someone dedicated to a Jesus-centred and directed spirituality. Now, spirituality is one of those uh, cultural buzz terms that's often used without much definition, and philosophers really like defining things, so here's a definition for you. Um, A spirituality is a way of life, a way of living. It has to do with the integration of your head and your heart and your hands, if you like. You could diagram it like this. A spirituality is a way of relating to reality via the beliefs of your head, the attitudes and commitments of your heart, and the behaviour of your, well, your whole self, but hands gives us a nice alliteration there. Head, hearts, and hands. Well, a Christian is someone dedicated to a Jesus-centred and directed spirituality. I didn't get that generic structure of spirituality out of thin air, I actually got it from Jesus' answer to the question about the greatest commandment, when he says that the answer to what is the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, your attitudes, with all of your mind, what you think, including your worldview, and with all of your strength, everything you do, your actions, 
and to love your neighbour as yourself. So that Christian spirituality means loving God with everything you are and loving neighbour as self. But how do we enter into that way of life? How do we get the wherewithal to live that way? Well, Jesus also taught that to enter into the life of true spirituality, as he conceived it, meant trusting him, having faith in him as the divine point of access into the life of God, into life with God. So from earlier in John, he says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. And a little later, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or from one of the synoptic gospels, from Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 11 there reminds us that Christian spirituality is a dynamic an interactive way of life. It is a relationship. A relationship between the believer and God. We do not, as the common phrase is sometimes heard suggests, let go and let God. Now, I know there is something sensible that that phrase means, but it's so easily misunderstood. Um, I found uh, just a couple of pictures off the, off the internet that give these kind of slogans. Sometimes you've got to take your hand off the steering wheel and let God drive. You know, who's in the driving seat of your life? You've probably heard sermons along this kind of theme. Well, you should be. It's just that you should be following God's directions and doing it. Um, or this one. Jesus, take my wheel. Uh, take the wheel. My way just isn't working anymore. Well, again, I know what it means that you need to give priority to God being in charge of your life rather than trying to run it your own way. But it's so easily misunderstood as that kind of passive spirituality where you just say to God, "Okay, I've ticked the Jesus box. You you do your thing now. I'll just sit back and wait for you to change me. No. No. These slogans promote a dangerously unbiblical, passive understanding of Christian discipleship. Jesus wants disciples who are actively involved in following his directions. Uh, John fourteen fifteen. Although we aren't saved by works, we are called upon to work out our salvation. Philippians two twelve. To put it another way. If we come back to our diagram of spirituality, we see that having faith in Jesus is a matter of both the head and the heart. Not merely of believing that Jesus is who he said he was, but actually believing in him, trusting in him. Um, this is a little earlier in John, from John six twenty-eight to 29. People ask Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires and of course they are thinking there in terms of salvation by works but Jesus turns it around on them very cleverly and he says the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent 
to believe in the one he has sent. And that is both a matter of the head and the heart. And contrary to what any new atheist writer might say, not a matter of just willing up some kind of emotional blind faith. But that conjunction of head and heart, of believing that and believing in Jesus, leads to acting in a certain way with your hands. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, says Jesus. If you love me, keep my commands so that faith leads to works. And as James says, faith without works is dead. But, I hear you say, or at least I say to myself at this point, this isn't easy. Well, no, it's not easy. I'm constantly reminded in my spiritual walk of the words of the man who said to Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Doesn't that resonate with all of us? Or just look at Paul in the entirety of Romans chapter 7. Though saved in Christ, we are yet fallen. We are, if you like, God's work of art. A work of art called upon to cooperate with our creator in the project of our restoration. We're works of art in need of restoration, but we have to cooperate in that process. We have to work at it. John 14, 15, Philippians 2, 12. But the good news is that we aren't left to work at it alone. John 14, 16 calls the Holy Spirit our... Well, the word is translated in a number of different ways, in different translations. Sometimes it's advocate, or counsellor, or comforter. The actual word in the Greek, as many of you will know, no doubt, is paraclete. It literally means attorney. But it had a, a wider meaning application. It, it really means someone called to the side of another for the purpose of helping them with their specialist knowledge. Like an attorney represents you, helps you with their specialist knowledge of the law. One called to the side of another for the purpose of helping them with specialist knowledge. A paraclete. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete in the Christian life. The Spirit of Truth, the Advocate, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, i.e. to represent the character of Christ to us, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Or John 16, 13, when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Of course, remembering the context here, if Jesus saying, I am the truth. So, here is a, an image for you. Remembering Matthew eleven twenty nine, um, This very agricultural, typical agricultural image that Jesus uh, used many of. Where the farmer, wanting to train uh, a new uh, ox to do the ploughing, would yoke the new younger ox together with an older experienced ox who knew the ropes as it were and the younger ox would then be helped to learn the job learn to follow the farmer as they plough the fields together by being yoked to the older ox 
So if Jesus wants us to take his yoke upon us, and he is our farmer, as you like, as well as our good shepherd, and one of those oxes is the Christian, who's the other ox? It's an interesting question. Well, to take an image from the synoptics and to round it out with some information from John's Gospel, you could say the other ox here is the paraclete, is the Holy Spirit coming alongside us to help us with his specialist knowledge, our paraclete in following Jesus' instructions for living. It is a very humble image for God to apply to himself. I'm like an ox in the field. But then Jesus is the lamb of our sacrifice. So, the Holy Spirit guides believers into truth, being our paraclete. But Jesus is the truth, the way, the life into which we are being guided. So the Holy Spirit is there to help us to become more Christ-like, but he's there to help us become more Christ-like. We have to cooperate. We have to take upon the yoke. We have to not struggle against what he's teaching us, but to take on board what he's teaching us and cooperate with it. It is not let go and let God. It is grasp hold of God and everything that he gives us to help us to follow him and become more like him. If you want some uh, really practical, down-to-earth guidance on that, I want to just recommend one book to you. That is uh, John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. It's an outstanding explanation and practical guide to Christian spiritual disciplines. And I think you'd find it um, very helpful at whatever stage you are in following Christ. Thanks be to God.